This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We're talking real money. Like it or not, Talking Real Money continues with another exciting edition of our little podcast. Hello, everyone. I am Don McDonald over there. Well, not physically over there, but electronically right over there. Looking right at me is Tom Cock. I don't know how this works when he's a continent away. A continent that I will soon be driving across. I got great news for you. I didn't share this with you. Uh, what? What? The paving project is on for the last week of January. They are coming out, laying down the, oh, it, the asphalt, baby. It, it'll probably rain. Miserable, wet, cold yeah, they said rain they had, the they whole said, time. They said they have to wait until it's not pouring. Or well, something. then they need to wait till June. <laughs> yeah, well, it's earlier now, and Seattle comes in the middle of May. So Okay. All right. And for those of you who know, Tom is... <laughs> I, I have my Airstream that's getting fixed up. It's almost done. And uh, Tom said, well, if you come out to Washington, you stay a month, I'll pave a driveway for you next to the house. Well, I'm thinking that'll save me thousands of bucks in uh, RV park fees. So, so, so he literally is paving a spot next to his house. <laughs> and, and funnier yet, it's my 15-year-old daughter who said, wait, you're making them stay outside? Can't they come in the house? <laughs> Hey, we've got a really nice trailer. I said, that's up to them. You know? They can stay where they like. So she thought that was funny. Um, and we're bringing the dogs. So uh, Buddy will have somebody, not Buddy, Tucker will have somebody to play with. Uh, Tucker will be so buddy. happy. So anyway, happy. Uh, here we are getting together to talk about money. And um, once again, the part of money we're going to talk about is building your investment portfolio and how you should build your investment portfolio. How diversified should you be? There seems to be, we believe in diversification, but apparently there is some disagreement among people in the financial industry as to what diversification really is. How diversified is diversified? Yeah, I, I, this is a question that comes up. I, mean, I think if, if you hear from Jim Cramer at CNBC, and I hope you don't hear from him too much, I or think he all. says it's, he, I think he says between ten and twenty stocks is diversification. Oh, my goodness, yes, that's that's and, less diversification than the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And he wouldn't mind if it's the ten or twenty stocks he recommends. By the way, um, <laughs> and then we'll talk about Professor Horst. Meyer here in a couple of minutes, but okay, but let's first talk about what diversification is really there for, right? It should be there for reduction of risk. This is where part of the misunderstanding people think, well, I'm going to diversify. I'm going to make more. Well, mm, I wouldn't count on that. I would count on less volatility. And then that other part is when you own single stocks, they can go out of business, right? If you own thousands of companies and that one goes out of business, you don't care. But if it's one of the 10 or 20 you uh, you own it could be really really bad. Um, so let's talk about what all that means, right? And this it comes from a Wall Street Journal article. They go into the pros and cons of diversification. Pros according 
to the rider, lower risk and volatility, more consistent returns, which again makes sense because you're holding thousands of companies. Um, and the cons, they say, are potentially lower returns, which is true. Uh, if you bought the right stocks for the right period of time, you made more. But interestingly enough, from our friend Paul Lepescu at Dimensional, just mentioned these numbers a couple of days ago, 22 and 23, right? The last two years of returns. If you'd own the NASDAQ, which had a huge run up in 23, you actually ended up after two years down 2%. If you owned a globally diversified portfolio of somewhere around 12,000 stocks, that's 3,000 in the US, 9,000 outside the US, you made 6%. Now, no promise that's the way it looks in the future, but again, you're owning a wider number of, of uh, enterprises, correct? So correct. cons, they, yes. they, yeah, I mean, you just have more businesses that you're investing in. Um, the cons, which is interesting, potentially lower returns, I totally agree. It could be. That would be a random event. Extra maintenance. If you invest in individual stocks, they say there's a cost in terms of the time it will take to manage your portfolio, monitor and track each company you're invested in, and ensure it stays well diversified over time. Now, there are such things as mutual funds and exchange traded funds. They'll do all that for you. I have no idea what they mean and with they that. They do it all for you without much in the way of money being paid. Well, they do. That's another con they offer, and the cons of diversification is higher costs. No. Which is. Which is well, that would be true if you had ten or twelve individual stocks right. versus paying an exchange traded fund point one one or point two whatever. I mean, yeah, it'd be, but you're getting a lot for that point one one or point two. I think that's a silly. Well, no, no, point. no, because you've got to rebalance your portfolio, Good and point. you're going to incur commissions to do that. There are trading costs. There are taxable events along sure. the way. So there, there are costs. They're, they're being a little well. Okay, continue. Yeah, well, th th I think that that's a fair point, Don. Very, very fair. So uh, then we get into how much diversification is as you started diversification. Um, here's, a, here's a direct quote. If you opt to buy individual stocks, achieving peak diversification isn't as difficult as you may think. This comes again from the article. A 2021 study co-authored by Professor Horst Meyer found that adding more stocks to an investment portfolio made it less volatile until included about 20 stocks. After that, the benefit was negligible. In other words, if you have the right 20 stocks, I guess if you get one from each particular sector or something, or one from each country, that somehow is enough to own. I think that's an outrageous statement. I have not seen the study, but that makes no sense yeah, to I'd me. I'd like to see the study because I would be I'd be willing to bet that the study didn't compare. It, you know, it probably got to 20 or 30 or 40 stocks and said, okay, there isn't much difference between 10 and 40 or 10 and 50. But I would be willing to bet that there's a very big difference between 10 and 13,000. Yeah. I mean, it, it I, just has to be, right? I think anyway, it has to be. Yeah. I would say it does. Um, and then they, they go into some of the other parts of diversification that many of you do not use you know, smaller companies, right? Value companies. Most most people, it's still 80 some percent of the invested money in the United States is in large companies that are more growth oriented. It 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 is, I don't know, maybe it always will be. We're going to be begging you for as long as we're here on the air to own some small, some value. And that other part that uh, that actually had a decent year last year, international stocks, right? What? Investing in International other stocks finally did well? Well, not as well as the United States, but well, right? But better so, than they've done. And by the way, that's another piece that Apollo mentioned in his talk the other day, which is fabulous. This is the part people forget. If you go back 50 years, there are periods of 10 of decades 
where international way outperformed the 70s, the 80s, then the 90s, it was the US, right? The mm-hmm. aughts was international. international. And then the 10 through 19 was US. So it may seem like, well, I'm just going to put it all in the US because it's better. Not if you look at the long haul, that has not been indeed the case. So you want to have those in diversification as well. Um, but overall, I would say the following. You know, if you if you really own 10 to 20 stocks, as Professor Horstmeyer suggests, that is has to be called stock picking, doesn't it? Of course it is, because I mean, it is you have to pick the stocks. I mean, so I'm unless pick- you just randomly draw stocks from a hat, you use the monkeys with the with the dart technique. Yeah. And so anything really less than owning at the aforementioned 3,000 in the U.S., 9,000 outside the U.S. or so, it's it's individual picking. You're, you're making a choice that Boeing will do better than, uh, than I don't know, yeah, Tesla. It doesn't work. It doesn't yeah, I was going to say Airbus. No, Airbus doesn't work. Doesn't work. Um, number two, as we mentioned, in a general sense, you can own all of them at a very low cost. You can own the entire world for 0.2%. I mean, that is a would, deal, a ridiculous deal. I would deal. hazard again a guess that you could own even a a, a portfolio of, of, of a few, few hundred stocks through a mutual fund for less than you as an individual could own and rebalance 10 stocks. Because the, the expenses for individual investors to do that, they're still going to be, you know, dollars a year and when you get into index type funds the expenses can be fractions of a percent a year i know and and going down which is something we'll discuss in a later date um and here's a couple of ideas slash examples you've heard us mention them before but i'll mention them again just had a discussion with a listener recently about whether or not it makes sense to pay 0.23 for a fund like AVGE, which is the Avantis Global Equity Fund. I think it does. Mm-hmm. Or Dimensional now is a vi- very fine global equity fund, DFAW, also a global equity fund, all stocks, low cost, wide diversification. To me, that's diversification, owning all of those rather than trying to pick the 10 or 20, rather than sort of moving in and out. That's another thing we see people doing. Hey, I don't want to be in that anymore because it hasn't worked for the last couple of months. That's market timing. So stock picking, market timing, none of those things have any track record of working, Don. I'd rather be widely diversified, low cost and tax efficient, and that's it. By the way, the DFAW, the Dimensional World Equity ETF, has an expense ratio of 0.25, ladies and gentlemen. Which we consider inexpensive. low. And inside that portfolio, because it includes the dimensional core equity, the international core, uh, the emerging markets, the global real estate, because it includes all of those funds within the fund, you have multiple funds. And this is where, with all of these, this global portfolio of, of stocks in these funds, you get to that 9, 10, 11, 12, 13,000 stock portfolio that we're referring to as opposed to 10? 10. 10 total, not 10,000, 10, 10 stocks. 10 stocks. Yeah, 10. I, I think Which it's sounds advice. better from a reduction? I mean, just logically, from a reduction of volatility standpoint, which sounds better to you? The, your intuition should tell you that more should equal less, less volatility, volatility and less overall risk. 
The yeah. more you've owned of something, the risk has to be less because something bad could happen to one, two, three, four of those stocks. Could happen to one country. I mean, well, that was another yeah, that's point. the other thing is if you have a could, 10 stock portfolio, right. what do you have? One, one small cap stock, maybe two. Uh, you have one large cap, one val, one large cap value. You can't cover all the the asset class bases either in a portfolio like that. You just don't have enough room to do it. I have a REIT. I have one emerging market stock. I have you know two small caps, a uh, value. You just can't cover all the bases. Whereas with a, a fund, yeah, you can pretty much cover all the bases for not much money. And uh, for the previously mentioned reason, you're not going to have much in international stocks. And we think we can clearly show you that, you know, that is a place to be. Um, another stat I learned this week, I knew Japan had run up massively in the 80s. And, and I had no idea that in 1990, the value of their stock market was greater than the U.S. market. So and think of all the people in Japan who has all their money in Japan. And basically, the Nikkei has made nothing. I think it's still underwater in those last 34 from, years. From the high? Yeah. From the high. I think it from is. From the high. So, yeah, I mean, it's insanity. So, yeah, that's not diversification. This is really pretty poor advice, I think. We can safely say that. No, it's terrible advice, in my opinion. Hey, uh, we love to get questions from you. You can send them in to us at TalkingRealMoney.com. You can, uh, you can record them right there with your microphone on your computer or your phone, or you can type them. And then it makes Tom happy because he gets to read them like this. How do you know to have somebody reading them to me? Anyway. Uh... Because I actually hear your voice speaking them, <laughs> as does the rest of our audience. Uh, it's special. Unless and it's a great guess... Tom impersonator, and I don't think there's a lot of demand for that. Nobody wants that job. Um, we're going to the uh, Midwest for these today. Oh, that's been nice. chilly, I know, because my brother's there and regularly reports to me that when I complain about the 20 degrees here, he goes, are you kidding me? Anyway. anyway yeah, we got 20 that. below yeah. zero well, in the have, shade. I think they did have something like that recently. Uh, this is from Scott in Farmington Hills, Michigan. It says I'm 59 years old and not close to retirement, which was a bit of a head scratcher, but okay. Um I have $45,000 in a self-directed HSBA through Schwab. Now, I know what an HSA is. What's HSBA. HSBA. I was hoping you would know that. But while you're I trying to find that out. I don't know what that is. Currently H in Schwab's SBA. It's currently in Schwab's Value Advantage Money Market Fund, SV. Oh, it's, it's just, okay, it's an HSA. That's what I thought. Um, okay. It's he's an got HS, it all. They just call it an HSBA. He's got it all in the uh, Schwab Money Market Fund, SWVXX. Mm -hmm. Don't intend on using the funds until you're uh, in retirement. He's thinking of moving them into a two-fund strategy, 90% in a 2035 target date fund and 10% in SCV. Is this a good strategy for an HSA or do you have other ideas? I can tolerate risk. I know my opinion on this, but what's yours? Um, well, so the if 2035 is going to be a 60, 40, basically. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. And then you got another 10% yeah. in small cap. Right. Um, and again, as long as this is money that you're certainly not going to use. Ah, that's what I, so don't you think you'd want to have some of that in it, like the money market just in case something yeah, comes I, along and I would, yeah. I would, I would, yeah. just in case you've got some surprise medical bill that exceeds your ability to pay it from other assets or just you you want to pay it from 
tax-advantaged assets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would probably, I would tend to, I would, I would probably just go all with the target date. Then you're going to have a certain amount in fixed income that then I'm going to have some yeah. in fixed mm-hmm. income with That's less good. volatility. Yeah. But, but I don't think it makes a massive difference. No, I think and, we're going to be quibbling over. It. it sounds like this sounds like someone who has the means by which to cover things from other assets. It sounds like they've thought it out. Uh, and if you truly are not going to need it until retirement, you could go even more aggressive than that. If you, so if you're, what if would you're be more, profile, oh, you mean just take a target date fund of 2040 or 2025? Right, go out a little longer. Exactly. Out longer. Yeah, okay. just so you, then you still aggressive. have a little bit in bonds. Yep. I think that's reasonable. I think our plan makes us keep $1,000 in cash. Basically, you can't invest that. I don't know anyway. because I have a low deductible plan, not a high deductible plan. I'm in the very high deductible plan. No. Oh. Um, and I'm saving a lot into my HSA. So uh, great question. Thank you, Scott. And now we go to Dubuque, Iowa. On the map where it's recently. It's also cold. Yeah, which on the map recently, not just for the cold, but for the recent caucuses. And Jim writes us uh, considering this fund, Boston Partners Large Cap Value Equity Fund Class E. And I don't know if that's Class E or Class E. Class expense e ratio in, e. in uh, pardon me, cl- expense ratio in my 401k is 0. 0.32. 401k currently invested in 36% FXAIX. That's uh, Fidelity's. Uh, S&P 500 at a 0.15 expense ratio. Would it be a wise decision to split my U.S. large cap in these two funds between the S&P and the value, adding the Boston Partners large cap value fund? Well, I mean, the the, the advantage to it is it gives you a value tilt uh, to the portfolio. Problem is, uh, it's a boy, you know, for an actively managed fund, it is inexpensive. It but is. that's probably because it is not, I can't, it's not a fund that's sold to the general public. This is only private for it's particular gotta plans. It's got to be in plans. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to tell you, it's done well. It has beaten the Russell 1000, but it has done so with a higher degree of volatility, which makes perfect sense that making more money generally requires taking more risk. However, that risk manifests itself. In this case, it manifests itself in greater volatility, which makes perfect sense because when you get to really diversified portfolios, that's where the difference lies. So it's made more, but it's been more bouncy. And than, it has a Russell much higher expense ratio. And it has a, has a, so a, here's exactly, what I would do. And that was what I was getting to. I was The expense ratio is really over and above just having a value index. Yeah, maybe enough, maybe enough to knock out whatever advantage having value gives you in that portfolio. So maybe the better way is to stick with the cheaper index fund in this account, in this plan, and then using other accounts elsewhere, IRAs or just taxable accounts to use ETFs to get your small cap value tilt. Yeah. Or here's the alternative I had. Because he was saying split it. How about two thirds in the FXAIX and one third in the Boston Partners Large Cap Value Fund? Unless, as Don just said, you can get that same exposure in a Roth or a taxable yeah. account you outside see, of the plan. If you're saving outside of that plan, which most good savers are doing, then that gives you the opportunity to pick up. Because remember, 
each section of your portfolio, each account in your portfolio, each type of plan should still be considered part of your overall portfolio diversification. It's all one big portfolio for you. So you can have all of your large growth mainly in the planet work, and then you can pick up your small and your values and your internationals in other investment portfolios outside of that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So, so, and again, this always gets back to this point that people have trouble with. That is, you need to look at all of your money as one portfolio rather than having six portfolios. Yes. Very speaking, important concept. Exactly. Holistic yeah. investing. Yeah. Indeed. Does it does sound very trendy though, doesn't it? You know, it's we're going to holistically invest. I know it's going to. Everyone breathe in. Through They're going to call us lefties again if we say that. So breathe please out don't. through your mouth. Don't don't say it because. Now envision a portfolio in perfect balance. What what is that? Just bring a leak? <laughs> that was the that was the the mystical, you know, breeze blowing you know, he's through. It's okay. like a balloon. Well, if they pop me, I'm sure that'll happen. Yes. Yeah, it's probably true. Um, thank you for those questions, Tom. You did a lovely job reading them today. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. Finally a, doing stirring, my job. Stirring, stirring performance. <laughs> and um uh, Speaking of stirring performances, if you want to help him with future stirring performances, send questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Better yet, though, if you want to just hang out with Tom for a little while or some of our other fiduciary advisors at Appella Wealth, we'll, we'll do that. We'll talk to you. We'll help you for nothing. And unlike many who say the same thing, and there are many, oh, we'll give you a free consultation and portfolio review. No, you won't. You'll give me a free talking to and sales pitch. That's what you'll do. We won't do that. Just go to TalkingRealMoney.com and click on Meet an Advisor because we really, truly do want to help everybody. And that's why we hang out here all the time doing what, Tom? Talking Real Money. Ooh. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast were current on the date recorded. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice, including any forward-looking estimates or statements which are based on certain expectations and assumptions. Although information and opinions given have been obtained from or based on sources believed to be reliable, no warranty or representation is made as to their correctness, completeness, or accuracy. Information presented on the podcast is not personalized investment advice from Appella Wealth. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for everyone. This podcast does not identify all the risks, direct or indirect, or other considerations which might be material to you when entering any financial transaction. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and profitable results cannot be guaranteed. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. The podcast is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Wealth, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Please see Appella Wealth's ADV Part 2A on our website for information regarding Appella's fees and services. Appella Capital, LLC, DBA Appella Wealth, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in the states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration with the SEC or any state securities authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Appella does not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing either stated or implied here should be inferred as providing such advice. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and important disclosure related to performance of any specific index or fund quoted in this podcast. And the lawyers get richer.